You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Kyra and I grew up uh, on the same street. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 4, if you want to go there, by the way. It's a long one, 66 verses, so buckle your seatbelts. We were born on the same street in Swanson Drive. We were high school sweethearts. Uh, I was uh, Kevin, Kevin uh, Arnold. And she was Winnie Cooper. You guys know that, what that is? You know what that is? Kevin Arnold and Winnie Cooper? That's Wonder Years for us uh, Gen Xers. And um, we grew up to the soundtrack. We fell in love to the soundtrack of Third Eye Blind. Our very first, uh, our very first Valentine's Day, Kyra gave me a VHS of Dumb and Dumber. And that was not an insult. That was a great honor. Amen, brother. We got a testimony in the back. <laughs> Lloyd Christmas, man. It doesn't get better. It just all went downhill. We sled together, we ice skated together, we grew up together. We, um, we went to college, uh, I went to IU, Indiana University in Bloomington, and Kyra went to Greenville Tech right here in the, uh, the great city of Greenville. And we did long distance dating through uh, phone cards. You had 16 numbers, you guys remember this? Before free nights and weekends, we did phone cards. Um, and we talked for hours, we, we watched Harry Met Sally uh, on the... Uh, at the same time, like, press play, one, two, three, play, and then we would, like, do, like, a commentary, and that's how we did our little dates over the phone. Um, we got married at 21. We got married at the corner of 14 in Pelham uh, at the plantation there, and, um, and we were 2005. You can look at my Facebook. It just looks like my suit is too big for my head. Luckily, my head grew out a little bit more, um, but, but we're doing good. Um, me and Kyra are blessed. Um, uh, I've talked to a lot of, of singles uh, these days, and, and that dating scene out there is rough, whether it's Hinge or Tinder or whatever it is. It is rough, guys. I will pray for you. I don't know what. I have no pastoral advice for you. That is a tough <laughs> environment. I heard a gal at our church, poor gal, went on a date, did not go on the second date, so the guy sent her an invoice uh, for the, no, no joke, it's crucial. It's critical and crucial out there. So if you... We're born in the 80s like me. You're doing good. Um, we're blessed. Me and Kyra are blessed because before we were husband and wife, we were just really good friends. We were really good friends. And apart from phones and things and Tinder, like, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Like, we're supposed to be brothers and sisters before we're husband and wife, and we're supposed to have friendship. Like, that there would be friendship at the core of our relationships, and that friendship would never die out. That's the heart of of I think what marriage is. We have um, this uncle, we have Uncle Al and Aunt Carol, they're, they're kind of mentors of ours. And they're very rich. They do very well for themselves, you know, and they can kind of do whatever, they could go whatever restaurant they want, they could go to whatever gym that they want. Uncle Al has heart problems, and so I think they're in 60s. And, and, uh, and so every day, me and Kyra, we talk about this, because every day um, we say Cheerios. And Cheerios is simply uh, Aunt Carol and Uncle Al's routine. Every morning, they could go to any breakfast spot, anything they want, but instead... Every day, they could do whatever they want. They have Cheerios, and they go on a walk every day. And it's like, I would say that it sounds trivial and trite to you, but to me and Kyra, it means something, because what that represents is a well-worn path of friendship in that relationship. They've not always had the greatest relationship. Married couples in the room know. You have twists and turns. You have up and down, ups and downs. But if you can get to Cheerios, you're winning, right? If you can get to that simple, just friendship together, if you can get to that place of friendship with your spouse, you're winning beyond many, many people. So I read a blog one time, take it or leave it, we'll get to the Bible, Bibles are better than blogs, but blogs are good too, and uh, 
the blog just says basically like most marriages don't end in affairs. They end in a thousand decisions to break trust. Most marriages are not built by big events or even counseling trips. They're built by a thousand decisions to trust. So every day you come home and you ask your wife or your spouse, how are you? Or a friend or your roommate for that matter, anybody. And the person's going to answer and when they, when they hear back from you or watch you, you're either going to be listening or you're not. And that's the point where the marriage breaks down. Right there, that's it. Either you'll be texting or you'll be watching. That's the only answer. And that decision, thousands and thousands and thousands of times, will lead to successful and unsuccessful marriage relationships or friendships. It's simple decisions of trust or mistrust. At the center of Abraham's story, as he kind of closes up his chapter, we'll do one more epitaph of Abraham and we'll close this little section of the series up to do a how to read the Bible series. The big heart for these journals right now, I want to see our church continue to grow in daily, weekly, and monthly rhythms of prayer. And part of that is knowing how to be confident in the scriptures. I want us to not be intimidated, but excited to be in the scriptures because we're going to find out more about who our friend in Jesus is. So we're going to be talking about that, what it means to read the Bible and how we understand our part in the story. But at the center of Abraham's story, if you've caught anything, it's that he's a friend of God. He began as a stranger, maybe even as an enemy. He grew in faith, and over time, the Bible says he was full of faith and became friends with God. He walked with God day by day by day. And I'll put up a definition, because it's even been a theme. I love that basically, um, uh, basically, we talked about it all morning through worship uh, and through Justin's testimony. And, and it's, it's simply this. Cheerios with God is faith plus faithfulness. It's a thousand steps of trusting him in small decisions to find that he's faithful in every single one. If you look at the course of Abraham's life, not everything was cosmic. Not everything was about taking over countries and fighting wars and nations. It was about little trips to Egypt. It was about selling and buying land. It was about negotiating grave sites for his wife. It was the daily Cheerios of life that Abraham found that all of his needs were met in him. And so, where faith was met with faithfulness, friendship emerged. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus is after us. You know, because of the Holy Spirit, there's about a hundred little Abrahams and Sarahs in this room. That's, that's what happened, is, is, is that he did even greater things after he died than before it. And one of the greater things is that he multiplied the Abrahams. And we are all part of this family, this same faith family, that are still carrying out this storyline of walking daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly testimonies of faithfulness. And we are finding him faithful because he is a friend. And so, um, after these hundred years of his life, uh, the Bible in the book of Isaiah uh, 41.8 does not call Abraham a soldier. He doesn't call him a teacher. He doesn't call him a, uh, a proselyte. He calls him a friend of God. Something very boring and beautiful, but beautiful indeed. And so that's who we are as well. So verse uh, 1 of chapter 24, it says, Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. What a, what a great thing to be put on a tombstone, right? He was very old, and he has never found a promise unfounded. I think of Abraham as almost a series picture in the, in, 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 over my right shoulder here of a man that simply learned to gaze at the stars. Abraham was not a pagan, and he didn't look to you know, the rain god or the moon god or the fertility god to tell him who his god was. He simply looked to the stars because the stars were the place that God pointed him to. And from age, you know, 75 all the way to 175, I, I get the picture that Abraham never took his eyes off those stars. 
And that God gave him a perfect sermon illustration to continue looking upwards. Again, not at the stock market or the left and right circumstances of his life, of what was winning and losing, but as faithful as the stars were shining in the night were as faithful as the promises. Remember what he tells Abraham, that you will be like the, like the stars in the sky. You will be a great nation and a great name, not because of you or anybody else, but because of me. So Abraham is a friend of God, but even, even at the ripe old age of 175 years old, Abraham uh, still has never arrived. Anybody in here not arrived yet? That's a good thing. <laughs> even, even those with massive testimonies of sea splitting, Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, you know, Noah's Ark type of faith and faithfulness, uh, none of that will ever graduate us from the faith step that is called to us today. It will always be difficult, won't it? It will always be challenging. It never gets, un- it never gets too, uh, you know, easy and, and, and uh, a foregone conclusion. So Abraham is put in this very difficult situation. He has a son, his only son Isaac, who needs to carry on the blessing. Because if he's going to go from one star to many stars, he's going to need a wife for for Isaac. And he's a hundred something years old. And he basically owns this one area of the land that God promised him, and there's no wife in sight. He's got one son, and he's in a sea of Canaanites. So what's he going to do? He has to send, because his son would lose the land if he left, and if he left and he had to travel 500 miles through the Canaanite land to go get to the next place. He might die on the way there. He has to send a servant. How many guys are business owners out here? Anybody own a business before? I talked to my homie, Tom Ralston. Um, business owners are not worried about vacations. They can take whatever vacation they want. That's the great thing about business owners usually are making a good amount of money, okay? But if you're a business owner, your number one problem is employees. That's a difficult situation because old Jimmy John doesn't care about the business nearly as much as you, and he's probably not going to show up. So Abraham is put in a situation where he has to take his servant, Eliezer, to send him on a 500-mile trek. Some of you guys are teachers. You wouldn't send your straight-A student to the principal's office to go get a form. You wouldn't trust this person. He's got to put the destiny of humanity in the hands of a servant at the mercy of a stranger to go find a wife for his son. This is where he's at. 100 years old. You think after a while, God, you'd put me in first class at Airbnb so I could just chill. I could get an Abraham retirement mode. But no. It never ends. There's always, always a continual call of faith and faithfulness. And so Abraham goes ahead and sends his servant. And says, in verse 2, he said said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all he had, put uh, your hand under my thigh. I want you to make an oath by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living. Verse 4, but you will go to my country and my own relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. So he's got this servant, a huge impossible mission, a 500-mile uh, uh, journey up and back to go and find a needle in a haystack, to go find a wife for my son, and I hope she's not crazy. Okay? And so he's got to send the servant out there, and, and he's going to go. Okay? So this is a picture. There's two pictures. There's a picture of a friend of God, and there's a picture of a servant of God. Uh, and so the friend of God is Abraham. And the picture of Abraham uh, is that First and foremost, Abraham, in his faith, does not, does not, we're going to read how this vets out, does not have a Simon Says faith. He does not have a, I'm only going to do what God's going to tell me in my left ear when I'm at the stop right light to go left or go right and buy 2% milk when God says it. He does not have a Simon Says faith. He has a stargazing faith. He is hanging on to the promises of God. He doesn't, God, God actually does not speak anywhere in the 66 verses of this very important chapter, does not speak about this page, yet his fingerprints are all over it, and God knows how, or Abraham learns how to trust God even in the silence. He does not have a Simon Says faith. 
He doesn't have a Ouija board faith. He doesn't have a fleece faith where he's just kind of waiting on, you know, the old Gideon story where you put the blanket out and the water dew springs up on the... He doesn't have a, a waiting on, I only do what God, you know, tells me to do and he sets it all up for me. He has a, he has a trusting friendship faith. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever had, if you, if, if you have a wife, the wife just says, I don't want to tell you what to do. I just want you to know what to do. And you're just like, I just want you to tell me what to do. But she's right, right? Because servants do what the master tells them to do, but friends know what to do, Right? Servants do what the master says. Friends want what the master wants. So he is not just calling servants. He's calling friends. And the years of Cheerios are because he wants your heart with his. He wants you to care about what he cares about, think about what he thinks about, and plan the way he plans. So Abraham, he, he, he listens to the voice of the Holy Spirit like the trajectory of a rocket. He considers the faithfulness of the past, the truth of the present, and the promise of the future. This is all you're called to do. If you don't hear one more thing I say today... I would love you to go and grab this journal on your way out. And I, want, and I would encourage you to grow in friendship with God is, is the daily abiding of tested trust. It is seeing needs met on daily, weekly, and, and, and yearly basis. And the questions you want to be asking yourself at every fork in the road, including dreams, prophecy, and direct uh, direction from the Lord, is what has he said, what is he saying, and what am I going to do about it? That's how friends get made. And the entire redemption plan is all channeled through those questions. So Abraham is not a Simon Says a friend. Uh, reading on, he is, also, he is also not a name it, claim it friend. Verse 5, the servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to the land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? So Abraham is rehearsing the promises. He knows that he's supposed to be a great nation and a great name. He knows that Isaac is the chosen child. That name was listed in Genesis 17. He knows that they're not supposed to intermarry with the Canaanites. He knows certain things, and so he's going not into what he doesn't know, but he's standing on what he does know, and he's moving forward into what he doesn't know with what he does. That's what faith would look like. This is what friendship with God looks like. It doesn't mean you have all the answers or you have control over everything, but you're using what you know to step into what you don't, to leave the land you're from, to go to the one he's calling you to go to. This is the vocabulary, the alphabet of faith. Okay, so he says, verse 6, Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said, because the Lord said it. Verse 7, The Lord God of heaven who brought me out of my father's household, rehearsing the truth, the testimony of God over and over, in my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can, watch this, he will send an angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son. Verse 8, If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released uh, from this oath at this time. So this is the incredible faith of Abraham that he believes he has a margin and a space that, that in the trek to go find a wife, God could send an angel, but the other person, the wife, could still uh, reject the invitation. So this is it. Faith and friendship with God does not mean having all the answers and controlling all the circumstances. Faith means you trust God enough that you leave space for God and people to move. You leave space in God for people to reject you. You leave space in, in God for people to betray you. You leave space in God for people to not do what you want them to do. Let me just give you some, some experiential advice to you. There's going to be a person one day, if they haven't come to you yet, and they're going to tell you, the Lord told you to go and join a business with me. Okay? They're going to, this is what's going to happen if it hasn't all. I had this dream. I'm positive that you are supposed to join a bit. You are supposed to marry me. The Lord told me, I mean, I'm just going to leave that out there. This is just the fleece. I'm coming out there, and I'm just going to tell you, you're supposed to marry me, okay? And listen, in a world of chaos 
and you don't know who to trust, and vagueness, and ambiguity with faith, it's going to sound so good to you to have somebody tell you what to do. Because that's how we're wired. We want somebody to tell us what to do, but that's how slaves operate. It's not how friends operate. So let me just give you advice. Run. Okay? Run. That is not how God, God does not send you directional words. He will send you people that will give you things to consider, for you to pray about. That's great. He will send you people with great reputations that have fruit on the tree, that have walked in faithfulness with God to give you loving advice. But for the most part, for the most part, this is a guy that's lived 175 years and had uh, seven direct words from God, and the rest of it was waiting on the promise. So let's catch that pace, and let's embrace it and love the Cheerios, because we're walking as friends and not servants, not slaves, right? All right, number three, Abraham does not walk in blind faith. He is considering the history of the testimony, the truth of the present, as he keeps focus on the promises for the future. And so this is the benefit that me and Kyra have to 15 years. It's not Indiana Jones stepping off the cliff. I'm not wondering if I'm going to wake up next to her in the morning. Like, we, we, we've been to, you know, Indiana before. We've, we've crossed the ocean before. We've um, had four children before. Like, I know the character of Kyra, and I also know, like the Bible talks about, she can guide me with her eyes. You know what that means, guys? You know, you know, without even talking to her, you could finish her sentence and know what she's looking for. And that's what the substance of a friendship looks like. It is finishing substances, sentences. It's wanting what the other person wants and, um, and serving the other person um, uh, uh, voluntarily. All right, so now we're transitioning. And the main character really of the story for the rest of the verses, and we're obviously going to move a lot quicker for this part, is not the friend of God, Abraham, but it's the servant of God. And we know it's the servant because... The servant never refers to God personally. It's always about Abraham's stuff, the things that Abraham told him to do, and judging success by the way that Abraham told him to judge the success of the mission. So this is the servant. This is not the friend. And so we're getting a picture of the servant. And there's lots of these little pictures in the Bible. The biggest one I could think of is the nativity at Christmas time. You know the little shepherd boy? Raise your hand if you were a sheep or you're a shepherd boy. Anybody here? A wise man? Any wise men? This is the picture of the outsider leaning in, seeing the beauty of the promise, wondering if they can take part. This is the picture of, 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 the, of the, the Gentile, the Samaritan, the Shumanite woman, seeing the promise unfold, seeing the friend of God outside as a servant of God, wondering if the promise could be open to all outsiders. This is the picture that we're going to get. And so this servant kind of takes on this mission. And I'm going to have to read you know, rather quickly, and I'm just going to let the text speak for itself. Um, and I'm actually going to have to skip about 15 verses because there's a repetition. and I'm just, We don't have enough time, so I had to cut 20 verses out somewhere. You can read it on your own. Verse 10. The servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of things from his master. Master's mission, master's stuff, master's definition of success, not the servant. He set out for Aram and made his way to the town of Nahor. Verse 11. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, and the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. He's been, around, uh, he's been around Abraham. He knows Abraham's covenant. He knows the language. Kindness is the exact word used in the covenant. Hesed. It means loyal love. It means, um, it means I love you because I love you, not because you love me or because you do anything for me. It is a loyal love uh, that, is, that is parallel to agape, probably in the New Testament. So hesed love, according to your kindness uh, towards Abraham, Verse 13, see that I'm standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink. 
and I'll water your camels too. So this is what I meant by a fleece. A fleece means you're trying to uh, get inside information about what God is doing by sending out a test for God. And you give them, in the case of Gideon, a fleece. Uh, give the Lord a fleece. You go to sleep and you tell the Lord, if it's uh, dewed in the morning, if it has wetness and moisture on the, on the blanket in the morning, then I'll know that you have confirmation. Okay? And so this is exactly what happened. What's he done is he's saying, he's saying, uh, Lord, I'm going to go down to this place after my 500-mile journey. I'm going to go to the well. And then uh, when I do this, I want to see Sarah come down, and that's how I'll know that you're with me. Okay, so verse 14, may it be that when I say to the young woman, please let down your jar, I have something to drink, she, she'll say, not only will I give you something to drink, but I'm going to give your camels something to drink as well. So concerning the issue of fleecing, um, the short answer to it is, today we have the Holy Spirit, so we don't need fleeces. Today we are friends and not slaves, and so we don't need to test, to test God. And so it is in God's grace and his mercy. Uh, for the record, you know, Gideon was somebody that grew up in a family, a household that had a uh, a shear a pole and a, and a bale altar in his house, and he does not represent in the picture of, of, of the Bible a friend of God. It's, it's a servant of God. It's an outsider, which God is going to go ahead and, you know, make a, uh, an exception for or sort of uh, extend, you know, in his grace and his, in his sovereignty to meet this servant where he is to see his purposes fulfilled, but this is not how we handle day-to-day business with the Lord. We know his voice. We know what it sounds like. I like to say hearing the Lord's voice most of the time is like the Coke versus Pepsi, you know, test. If you're a Coke friend, you know the difference between Coca-Cola and Pepsi because Coke's the real thing. And you can taste it, okay? So what does faith look like? You know what a Christian argument should sound like, and you know what it doesn't sound like. You know what a prophetic word sounds like, and you know what it doesn't sound like. You know what a Christian marriage looks like, and you know what it doesn't look like. And so all along the way is God is showing you these pictures, and he's saying, don't settle for less than the real thing. Look for the real thing. That's how you'll know. You'll smell it. You'll, you'll know. You don't have to study all the counterfeits. Just study the real thing. Because if you know the real thing, you'll know when it's not the right thing. Okay? And so that's what most of listening to God will be like on a day-to-day basis. All right? So we don't need fleeces because we know the real thing. We're friends. We're not servants. We don't live on the outside. And we know what he smells like and looks like and sounds like because we're, 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 we're continually inundated with, with the scripture. We meditate on the, day, uh, on the law day and night. All right? Verse, verse 15. Now, before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. So it's like before he's even praying, the prayer is answered. The prayer is answered. This is, this is what blows our mind. It's like, you know, we're not going to get into it. But, but you have to have a theology that reconciles sovereignty and personal responsibility. You have to understand that faith looks like something. It looks like action. And it looks like participation. And we can fail in faith. And he allows us to fail in faith. But at the end of the day, we have to understand that we don't, we don't make fruit happen and we don't make kingdom happen. He's the only one that brings it. And so God ultimately is the, is the author of this story. We don't have authority because we're not the author. So here's the picture is that even before he's done praying, it's already executed. So how does that work? I don't know, but it has there. There it is. Okay, so you've got to reconcile both those things. Verse 15, before we finish praying, Rebecca comes out with her jar on her shoulder and she was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. Now, if you were to slip back a couple chapters earlier, Genesis 22, you got to love a good romance novel. Abraham was just up the mountain with his, with his son, about to kill him. I'll, you know, provide for you. He provides the lamb. Big moment, you know, like engraved moment of faith that, that defines Abraham and Isaac. The next six verses, guess, who, guess whose genealogy just happens to pop up? Guess, guess what six verses just happened to be at the end of Genesis 22? Rebecca. Rebecca's born. Like, Rebecca was already part of the story before Abraham even asked for it. So that's the sovereignty piece. That's, that's, God is in the plan. He's, he's, he's involving us. We're participating. 
but we are not the author of the story. And it's not really in our hands. We participate, but ultimately he's the one that's writing the story. So it's in good hands. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a t-ball thing, right? That little kid gets up there and he's like spitting and he's like four years old and you know, he thinks he's Mark McGuire or whatever. He comes up there. He's like, Win, you know, trying to hit this thing. And the dad's like, all right, Jimmy, you know, puts a little t-ball on there. This time you're going to do it. And he hits it. And it's like everybody goes crazy. The dad goes crazy as if this was Mark McGuire that just hit his 700 home run or whatever. And it's like, but it's a t-ball game because the dad set it up, right? And so that's like, this is what you have to understand. Like, he's setting us up. This is not hard, right? I mean, it's it, in terms of like, who brings the power? Who brings the authority? Who really makes it happen? Who really opens the doors and closes the doors? I mean, you think back in middle school, you really think you saved yourself? You really think that you were the one that kept you away from those friends that would have drug all the other friends down, right? You were the one that found the mentor, that called you. You're the one that just happened to turn on and, and, and go to the mission trip, like turn on the TV and get invited to the mission trip, and you were the one that raised the, he didn't, he didn't. He set you up on a t-ball, and you're here. And you were worried about what shoes you had on. And you were so worried about what you shouldn't have been worried about, but he cared about it because he cares about you. And while he was working and while you were sleeping, he took care of the things you should have been worried about and you were never even worried about them in the first place to get you here because he's setting you up for tea. It's a setup. We're all here because a massive, divine, punked setup. He set you up to be saved. And that's why we're here. And we need to, we need to carry that, you know, in our Cheerios life. We need to remember we're here by grace not by work, so that none of us can boast. That's what gets us ready for the gospel, that we know that, that we get that. It's a setup from the start. Verse 17, the servant hurried, and you're going to see so many uh, active words here. It's 14 times the word take, 17 times the word walk, four times the word run. Uh, I don't know about you, but like, I would pick 100 other words for the word faith than chill. I would just pick so many other words than the word chill. I don't know about you, but my faith does not feel like chilling. It feels like I am drowning, you know? I am drowning in the details and drowning in my parenting and drowning in church. Like, this is what it's supposed to feel like, but he's sovereign, and he's got you, and he's holding on to you even though you're not holding on to him. And it's not actually just about faith meeting faithfulness. It's also about failure meeting faithfulness. It's about finding out that he's faithful in every single season. He's finding out in every single day and week and month. So this is, this is a, a gal. She must be a hoss, by the way. Apparently, she's really pretty, but she's also according to the statistics, probably making 400 like well trips up and down to feed all these camels because one camel needs uh, 40 gallons of water times 10 of them. So it was a setup. Like this girl is just out of nowhere. Like a where's Waldo? He comes up and this woman is the first one that shows up. She's born right after Isaac gets tested. She shows up like a needle in a haystack and there she is. It's a setup. It's a 500 mile setup. Verse 21. Without saying a word, the man watched closely to learn whether the Lord had made his journey successful. Gee, I wonder if it's successful or not, you know. Verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a, a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, bore of Nahor. Verse 25, and she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder. Oh, wow, isn't that interesting? As well as room for you to spend the night. Crazy. I just wouldn't have thought that was what's going to happen. Verse 26, then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Ah, the servant got personal. Did you catch that? He told the friend to do something that was too big for him to do, so he had to call servants to come in and witness the testimony too. That's what just happened. It was a setup. It was not just for Abraham. It was for the servant. So now the servant doesn't just have a mastery service. He has a testimony. And he, he 
has, has, has borrowed and drafted off the trust of Abraham to find faith, meet faithfulness himself. So now he's worshiping. So now he knows God. He doesn't just know of God, he knows God. So this is, this is a picture, I believe, of, of maybe one of the most pastoral, kind of like effective advice I could give you. Like, the picture is showing us that one of the best ways to grow in friendship with God is conversation. But one of the best ways for people to meet God in the first place is simply to serve. The picture of service, the woman and the servant, is, is not necessarily having a testimony with God and not necessarily having a history with God, but starting at the place of serving somebody who does. Manning Leapshire, the guy at Jesus Culture, he just has really just basic sermons that you will remember. He, one time he had a sermon called People Who Do Stuff, Do Stuff. And I just, I just remember it. You know, I wish I could preach like that. He said, if you don't have a vision then what you want to do is serve somebody who does. What you don't want to do is wait and just kind of imagine what it's going to be like when you finally get the keys. No, go and serve and figure out how hard it is and all the details that come along with it and all the ugly things that comes with being a missionary or youth pastor or being a business owner and then find out whether or not you really want to do it. Because my problem was I became a youth pastor and I didn't have anything to say. Like I was like, I just can't wait till I get a microphone. And then they gave me the microphone. I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to say right now. I just was so excited about getting the microphone and think beyond that. If I would have gone back to my old self, I would have said, stop sitting around reading books and start serving. Start serving. This is what it looks like to serve like with somebody else's business and somebody else's line of success and somebody else's direction. That is the place, whether it's internships or, or, or owning a business or, or if it's youth ministry or something else, one of the best ways to get involved in what the Lord's doing is to just serve somebody um, around you. And so, I, I mean, as simple as this, I mean, I'll tell you, Obviously, we, we, we value serving a lot around here. Probably the easiest way to do that is to join City Life. We just had one, and we won't have one until January. But I'll tell you what, if you just come in here at 9 o'clock next Sunday, you're going to see a bunch of people here, and we're going to pray, and we'll just put you to work. And I'll tell you, for some of you guys that are struggling with depression, anxiety, uh, don't know what you believe about sovereignty and free will, or whatever it is that you're worried about in terms of theology, I promise you a lot of that goes out the door when you start serving. You'll see the power of the Lord. You'll see the hand of the Lord. You'll see the provision of the Lord. This is not a theological mind game. This is, an, this is a relationship. And so it involves action and walking and running and faithfulness. And I want to encourage you that the muscle memory of discipleship is not thinking. It's serving. That's what ultimately you're here for. I want to let you know, just to let you know, this is a setup, right? This is all set up. I'm not here. We're not here for us to grow in the doxology or in, you know, orthodoxy of theology. That'll be part of the journey. But the goal of every single Sunday morning is that we would become missionaries. That's what you're here. And missionaries do stuff. People do stuff, do stuff. And it, revolves, it involves talking and communication and conflict and organization and teamwork. And none of that stuff happens just at Starbucks. Right? This is where we serve. We get out of ourselves. We stop thinking about our problems. We start, stop reflecting. We do stuff. And that's and when we, carry, and we take care of the discipleship as, as we go. So I want to just encourage you that serving is an incredible way to connect with the Lord. Continue on. 28. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca and a, a brother named Laban who's a sketchy character, and we'll pick up with him later. But, and he hurried out to the man at the spring, verse 30, as soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm and had heard Rebekah tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I've prepared the house and place for the camels. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him. 
and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before them, and he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell you, then tell us, Laban. So there you go. If business owners in the room, you guys know this is a hallelujah miracle. I mean, this guy is not running. He's like got a free meal, and he's turning it down after 500 days in the desert, and he's ready to like carry on the mission. So this is the part that I skip, verses 34 to 59, and it just tells the whole story all over again from the servant's perspective. And the reason why I just give you the crib's notes is because he basically is showing to the audience that he is doing what the master said, the way that master said to do it, for the reasons master said to do it. And so he's talking about the faithfulness and the kindness of God and how it's led him to this journey. And what you see through all of this is that he has taken this servant and begun a friendship with him. I don't know if you guys have ever watched American Idol before. They know how to play the strings, don't they? They play that little video of like the mom and all the adopted kids and you're like, oh my gosh, I just, I want that person to run for president. I, you just love the people that they put on this show and you care so much and all of a sudden you're so enveloped. You know, you wouldn't talk to your neighbor for five years, but you are so excited about this person that can sing, you know, Destiny's Child on this show and you are so excited about it. Okay, and they what? They've got you connected. They've got you invested. They've got you caring for the person. So what happens when you serve and what happens when you put your hand to the plow and what happens when you invest is that your heart connects too and you care about the mission. You're not just doing what the master says, but you're wanting what the master wants, right? You want what that American Idol contestant wants. And so he's pulled you in. He's, he's created a Jehovah sneaky. And this is it. He, he has pulled a trick on all of us. It is a setup. Everybody say it's a setup. That's something that if I was a Pentecostal preacher, we would just say that from the beginning and we've been going on it. But it's a setup. That's the whole thing. It's a whole setup. And what it is is that God... God takes his friend, and for the friend, it's just he's been shooting free throws. Like it's not like he—it's the muscle memory of his life. Like what else is he going to do except for reflect on the trustworthiness of God, the truth of the God in the present, and moving forward into the future? That's all he knows how to do. So it doesn't matter if he's going to buy bananas or find a wife. It doesn't really matter. He—that's his alphabet. That's how he runs, right? That's his mo. And so what he's done is, he's given him a big test, and in fact, it's so big that it's too big for him to do on his own. So because he's not a Simon Says friend and because he's not a name it, claim it friend, because he leaves space for God, he creates a space for servants to become friends in the midst of his story. And God has given him a call that is too big for him. And so that's what he says, you know, he's setting you up. Do you get it? He's setting you up. This whole thing's a setup. He's giving you kids if you have kids and it's too much for you to do. Have you ever said that before? If you're a parent, this is just too much. I can't do this anymore. Because he wants you to be able to have to Call on your neighbor for the carpool. And what's going to happen? They're going to see the faithfulness of God. They're going to see Cheerios all over the place. Right? You have to start a business. It's too much for you. If your life's too small for you, you don't have faith yet. Right? The faith makes the story too big for you, so you need other people. And then you're going to have to trust his sovereignty in the midst of sinners. And then deal with all of that. But there's no way around it. So just jump into it. Right? He's giving the friends of God a calling that's too big for them so that he has to rely on other servants so that servants can become friends because it was never about the 500-mile journey. It was always about the friendship. It was always about the relationship for him. He could have put a wife, you know, in the, in the little tent next door, a little Winnie Cooper wife, just, hey, what's going on? You need some ketchup? That could have been the story. But he sets a 500-mile journey up for a 175-year-old guy. So he has to get a servant so the servant can witness God and worship him because he wants the worship of the servant and the friend. That's what he's doing. And City Lights, we have a 17-acre uh, property. Good grief, I could barely take care of this 3,000 you know, square foot building. Okay? And it's right on the corner of the Swamp Rabbit, like the frontier of business in our community. And people drive by 45 restaurants to get out there. 
And it's, it'll take $10 million to develop it. Did I tell you, did I tell you that story? $10 million? Anybody have that? We just want to partner. We don't want to own and operate. We want to be a good neighbor. We want to go out on the trail. We want to go where Greenville is going because it's about the people, the stories, the friendship. It's not about the building. Who cares about the building? And so what's he doing? It's, more, it's, about, the, it's about the story. He's calling us to something too big. He's calling you and me to serve something that is too big because we're not meant to serve ourselves. So it, it feels sometimes like he's killing us and drowning us, but he's saving us. He's saving us from ourselves. He's saving us from our small lives, from our faithless lives, from our self-centered lives, and he's calling us next to neighbors that are not like us and business owners that are developers that I have no business talking to, and we're going to walk this thing out as far as he wants. And I have no control of it, neither do you. And maybe at the end of the day, we give it to a church, or maybe at the end of the day, we develop it. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but we have to leave space for that. Faith is not presumption. It doesn't mean I have all the answers, all the control. It just means I know who does. And I'm following him. Are you following him? And are we going to serve? Are we going to lay our lives down? Are we going to continually put the gospel forth and first in everything that we do? The big celebration at the end, the fireworks. Laban and Bethuel answer, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go. Look at all the stuff. The dominoes are falling. Oh, my goodness. Everything works out. And let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they had, had said, he bowed down on the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver, jewelry and articles of clothing, and gave them to Rebekah and also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up uh, the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But the brother and the mother replied, let the young woman remain 10 days so they may go. The servant is obedient and he doesn't put up with that. Verse 56, but he said to them, do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success in my journey, send me on my way so that I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. Verse 58, so they asked Rebecca and asked, uh, asked her, will you go with this man? And, and uh, she puts the nail in the resurrection coffin right there and then and there and says, I will go. All right, how about a drum roll? Here we go. So uh, over the course of, uh, on your pit, can we get a pitter patter? There we go. If we get this slide right here, in the end, it was not about the 500 miles, it was about the friendship. And here are all the things that the Lord is doing in the setup of life. Rebecca was born the same time that Isaac was tested. Rebecca draws the pail of water at the exact same time and offers to, I guess, spend a couple hours out there doing 400 you know, pulls of water. The servant is obedient and he is fast and efficient. He does not stay to eat. It does not stay to sleep because the Lord is sovereign and he takes care of all the little details for you and for me. Rebecca believes that the guy is from the Lord and invites him into the house where he meets, the servant meets the brother and the servant doesn't stay. A Laban allows for her to leave and Rebecca says, I will go with that simple faith. In verse 59, so they went, um, and so they went, um, they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servants and his men, and they blessed, look at this, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, verse 54, our sister, may you increase to thousands, I mean, these are people that have never read Genesis before, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, work it and keep it. This is what the order of all humanity is. These people who are pagan, backwards, backwoods people who have never heard any testimony of God, look at this and go, you know what this reminds me of? Verse 54, our sister, you will increase to the thousands upon thousands, like the stars in the sky or the sand on the shore or something like that. I don't know what I'll say. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies, that you would bless who you'd be blessed by and you know, curse those who curse you, and you'd be a blessing to the nations. Never read in a Bible school, but somehow all of a sudden I'm prophesying things that are right out of the Bible. That's incredible. Verse 61, uh, uh, Rebecca and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Verse 62, now Isaac uh, had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. We're not really sure what that word means. It means pray. It basically means stargazing, I think. I think it means to contemplate the promise. 
And so not only Abraham has been made a friend of God, but Isaac, his son, has been made a friend of God. And the life that began in Abraham, not just physical life, but spiritual life, extended to his family and to the neighbors and to the nations with just simple acts of Cheerios obedience day in and day out. The stranger of God is being made a friend of God. They are serving God and having their own testimony. They are growing in wisdom and stature with grace and grace and favor with God and man. Rebecca says, who is this man, verse 65, in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself, verse 66. Then the servant told Isaac all that he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and married Rebecca. She became his wife. He loved her, and Isaac was comforted at his mother's death. Even at the very um, edge of the death of the last generation, there is now a new life. Just as Adam fell asleep, and he woke up to a beautiful woman uh, to be married to and to be fruitful and multiply. So the same promise, same Lord, different story, different venue, different place, different time is doing the same thing, which is taking death and bringing it to life in his promised son. So here is, um, here's, here's a couple of thoughts um, as we close up today and move into the question. I'm gonna invite the, uh, the worship team to, to come forward as we respond. I appreciate you guys hanging in here. And we'd like to read through the Bible left to right and just consider what all the pages would mean. But if I can kind of draw things to a close, um, I want to encourage you, a couple highlights from the message today, that if you feel confused and lonely and upside down and you struggle with theology or who a lofty God would be, maybe the next step is just to serve and see what he would do by serving in Jesus' name in your life. Um, I heard a testimony from Allison Dixon. Everybody know Allison? Allison's great. Um, This last um, week at our small group, and she said she came to Lord not on an altar, but on a mission trip. She was talking to a kid on the mission field, and she just said, Jesus loves you. And in whispering just that word to that, that one child, Jesus loves you, her heart spoke up and said, I wonder if there is a Jesus that would love you like Jesus loves that child. And through the own words of her mouth as she served, as she served, she became a friend. She witnessed the testimony. So I want to encourage you, if you don't know who God is or what he's doing in the world, read the Bible, but also serve and get out there and continue to take risks because at the end of the day, it is about action. The alphabet of faith is not thinking, it's action. It's taking steps day after day after day. But if, you're, if you've been in the church and you do know the Lord, but it always feels like somebody else's testimony, it always feels like somebody else's steps and somebody else's stuff, and you look around the room and everybody seems to be getting something in worship in the beginning of worship services that you don't get. It doesn't feel like your story. It feels like your dad's story or your wife's story or your friend's story. I wanna tell you, this is supposed to be your story. So I want to encourage you to take something that is personal to you. Take something that is meaningful to you because he cares about the details. He cares about the cosmic and the personal. And ask yourself if he's as trustworthy as they say that he is and true that he say that he is and his promises are secure as they say that they are, then what is the step that I will take to trust in that truth? And then tomorrow wake up and do the same thing. I want to invite you guys to stand and um, this will be the last time I mention it, but We have these journals that are up front, and I would love for them to be an extension of even what we talked about today. They basically are run on three different questions every morning. I don't think there's any three questions I would tell you to ask yourself for the Spirit and in the Word in these three questions. And I'll just give them to you for free as the uh, intentional question today. But for you and for your wife and for your friend and for your neighbors, these are the questions we want to ask every day. What's he done? What are you grateful for? There's a lot he hasn't done yet, but I promise you his fingerprint is on something. And so... The faith for the next step is hidden in the fingerprint of what he did last. So not what has he not done, but what's he doing? Number two, what is the truth that I find in the scripture that I'm reading today? And we're going to do a Bible series about how to read the scripture and how to trust in the truth that we find there. And lastly, that we not just be talkers and thinkers, but doers 
And what would it mean to actually, one, run or walk or leap or jump or stop or argue or convict or comply? What would it mean to submit or surrender? Whatever that word is, in obedience and accordance with growing in friendship, in deep relationship and friendship with God. You are a friend of God. And if you're not a friend of God yet today, the Holy Spirit has fallen on your flesh that you might turn to him and become part of his family today. That Jesus died and was resurrected so that you would know the power of what it means to become part of a, of, of, of a, of a living a testimony and temple of the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you to pray that uh, in a moment with me. But then again, these are the questions I would love for you to consider them on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and we'll just close in prayer. Would you guys pray with me for just a moment? Thank you for hand- hanging in here uh, for a longer message. But um, <laughs> Holy Spirit, uh, we just yield to you um, on this Sunday. And, um, and I believe that pretty much the message of Pentecost and the message of the Holy Spirit is that all can come to you and all can turn to you. And so um, I thank you that you are turning strangers into servants and servants into friends this morning. And it's by your power and your might because it's a setup. And so um, I pray that in any place of woundedness, hurt, Um, and ultimately even spiritual blindness, God, that you would open eyes and open ears today in Jesus' name, that we would turn to you and that we would take one step and then after that, take the next one. And so I thank you for your testimony, Lord, that is faithful and true. I thank you for your truth that is secure, that we can trust in, and I thank you for promises that are secure into our future. And so uh, we trust you in this moment, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm actually gonna invite Tom Royalston and... Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.